Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special friend, uh, a return of a previous guest, Leo Gonzalez. How are you doing, Leo? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. This is, I think, your third time actually on here. Um, I have to go back into the archives to check, but uh, before I do that, this is actually the part of the podcast where I ask our guest, which is yourself, about yourself, where you've been, where you're at, and where you're heading. Uh, huh. All right. I'll give you the short version. Um, <laughs> all right. I'll work my way backwards. So right now, uh, co-founder of a independent co-dev virtual studio. Um doing art primarily for uh, a multitude of clients like AAA games, console, PC games, VR, um, as well as uh, enterprise clients and partners that are not even in the game space. So companies like uh, Target and Lucasfilm who are using Unreal Engine in real-time dev to um, to do cool, you know, new innovative stuff. And um, been doing that since... I don't know, about three or four years now. Before that, I was at a studio here in Austin. I'm still in Austin. Moved from LA to Austin uh, to join a studio. Left that after three years to to go independent and be an entrepreneur. Um, and then before, before that, uh, worked in LA, also in games. And that's actually where I met up with, uh, with Brandon um, and some other good peoples you know, that I still keep in touch with. Um, on the dev side, doing VFX and lighting is my uh, specialty, but I've kind of jumped around the pipeline over the years. Um, I've done environment art and world building, been a texture artist. Um, at one point, uh, didn't really enjoy it, but I used to do like rigging and character animation. Wasn't my thing though. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Great, man. And, uh, you know, Godemics for, for listeners and viewers out there is, of course, a partnership between Leo and myself. And it's primarily what I do uh, from my day to day. And it's uh, great to kind of bring you on because there's a couple of topics regarding to that uh, external development. But I think before we even go into that, let's talk about a little bit back history where, where we met at Spark, right? I think physically we working next to each other is probably the shortest amount that I ever worked with someone at a G-Job, which is around 68 months, <laughs> right? And we were working, we actually started the same day. Um, and sometimes I forget that, that we, we showed up day one uh, having the same HR orientation. And I, I think there was a spark, right? No pun intended or pun intended. Uh, that happened that really helped us kind of get going um, with that new experience because you were new in LA. 
I think that was my first mm-hmm. time working in LA and commuting there. Uh, and it was to me, it wasn't my first new company, but it was my second new game company of being familiar with the, a place and now leaving it in this like completely new environment and new people. So it was kind of great to kind of start on the first day. If you don't mind kind of kind of sharing your perspective on that first day. <laughs> because it was just me. I actually yeah, we we definitely tango and cashed the uh the the orientation. I still remember uh Kate was her name for HR. She kind of looked at us and she's like, do you guys mind if we if I just give you guys orientation at the same time to save me time and I'm just yeah. I'm like I don't I don't <laughs> it's unusual to have okay we were cool with that yeah and that's where we met. yeah um i guess she was really uh busy and stuff that day uh, i actually didn't know that was your first time working in la too uh that's the first time i knew that yeah first time definitely uh huh. definitely a scar <laughs> it was my first and i think a total of maybe two three times that i worked at companies in la but that was my first time I live in Orange County, commuting to LA, working in LA, and just being a part of that scene. So it was a new experience in that way. You know? Yeah, I had just moved to LA as well. Um, I made a big change. I went from Miami to LA, Florida to California, and I was just like, "Man, why didn't I do this before?" Um, just it's one of those things—a huge upgrade going from Miami to to LA. It's like going from zero to hero. Yeah. <laughs> people from Miami know what I'm talking about, but well, we won't get into that. Or Miami. Uh, can you kind of bust through those myths about Miami being a party city, being fantastic? I was surprised when you told me that it was just basically a block of beach that just gets featured in movies. And that's what people kind of glamorize. But Miami's anything but that. If you can kind of share that side of it. Ooh, man, we could do a whole podcast on Miami. I can bring on like some guest speakers who know the real Miami and they'll tell you the same thing. Uh, Growing up in Miami, and I'll keep this short because this could go on and on and on. But yeah, growing up in Miami in, you know, 80s and 90s, it was, uh, it made, I think it made places like, you know, what people think of like Compton and Watts and other tough areas look super tame. Yeah. I mean, there were neighborhoods where, where even the cops wouldn't go into because it was like, it was like third world. Like you'd go in and it didn't look like you were in any place in the U S it was um, nobody maintaining sidewalks or lawns or anything. It just it kind of looks like you're in another country and there's dudes with, can we get into that? Are you cool? <laughs> If I keep it kind of real. Yeah. There's, there's dudes with AKs and tech nines and Mac tens and stuff. And they'll, uh, they'll, they'll shoot it out with the cops. I haven't been there in years. Um, but when I grew up there, that's how it was. It was like gunshots. There was police helicopters all the time. A lot of shootings. That was normal on the news. Like when you'd watch like channel seven news or, or whatever, um, it would always be another shooting in Coral Gables, another shooting in Hialeah, another shooting in Overtown, SWAT team standoff in Little Haiti and stuff like that. It was it was pretty crazy. There were places you didn't go to. Downtown Miami, you would not. There was like an unwritten rule where everyone who who you know was from Miami knew. They just knew that at sundown, 
you cannot be walking around or be anywhere in downtown Miami. Like you just have to be out of there. Um, it was just something that you did. It was like an unwritten rule you kind of followed. And uh, yes, yeah, it's it pretty, pretty crazy place. It's a very doggy, dog, doggy kind of uh, environment and stuff. If you ever seen like, the, um, if you go back and watch a 90s movie called The Principal with, uh, I forgot his name. Is it Jim Belushi or James Belushi? I forget which one of the Belushi brothers he made this movie called The Principal, like in the 90s. And it's like this horrible high school and there's gangs and you're just like, man, it looks like a prison. That's how high schools were when I grew up in Miami, like uh, North Miami Senior, Pioneers, uh, JFK Middle School, uh, all, all those. That's that's exactly how it was. Like when I saw the movies, I was like, oh, was this filmed here? Like, huh, that looks familiar. <laughs> well, that- and then when I... Uh, Go ahead. Telling me it really does kind of help shape me because I didn't know it was that bad. Like straight up District Nine, people walking. Yeah. Uh huh. Being dangerous and stuff. It's pretty terrible. It's changed now. Okay, it's better now. The last time you visited, I think so. I went back in 2014. I decided to. It had been long enough, and maybe I'll go back to Miami and visit because you know my immediate family still lives there and stuff. So I made the mistake of saying, "All right, I'm going to take PTO from work." This is when I worked at my last studio, and I'm going to take a week of PTO off for the week of Thanksgiving, and just go back for like a whole week. Within 24 hours, I regretted it. In fact, within I got to the Fort Lauderdale airport because that's, that's a trick in South Florida. You don't want to go to MIA Miami international because it's always backed up and there's always like tons and tons of lines of people. So what you do is you fly into Fort Lauderdale, it's a little bit less traffic and it's always cheaper. The flights in and out of Fort Lauderdale, always cheaper, even though it's like right up the road. So I went there, rented a car, and as soon as I drove out of the airport, there was, uh, and this was like at 9 PM, like traffic's all backed up on I-95 and I'm just like, Oh boy, mm. here we go. Yep. I remember this. Uh, but there was a bunch of traffic because <laughs> some dude carrying, I don't know, like, uh, like palm trees and like, uh, uh farm animal stuff, like just spilled a bunch of crap all over I-95, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is typical of Miami. Like people will do like the weirdest things and carry the strange, like it's not unusual to see somebody with like a mattress tied to the roof of their Honda Civic mm-hmm. with like, and you look at it and you're like, dude, that's not secured. Right. You know, mm-hmm. people kind of like half ass and just do things that are very abnormal to like the rest of the U S so you'll see like weird stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I was just like, Oh geez, here we go. It's Miami again. Like, for example, you know how, um, a lot of highways in different parts of the U S will have like the HOV lane. And then you have those like little, they're almost like these little rubber cylinder things or whatever, like dividers, but they're like these individual like prongs that they put right to like show the drivers like, Hey, this is the HOV lane. Like once you're in it, you can't just go to the other lanes. You have to stay in there. Well, like here in Austin, Texas, they have that and nobody ever hits those things unless there's like a car accident or something like that. 
Uh, but it's super rare to see even one of those little prongs knocked down. You go to Miami to I-95, nobody respects that. You see the HOV lane and the regular lanes, and all you see is the prongs just spilled all over the road all the time. Because every time they put them up, people are like, I listening to that. And they just run it over. They don't care. Um, they'll hit it with their cars and stuff. And yeah, uh, people don't follow rules in Miami. Uh, people just kind of make up their own rules. That's that's an actual thing. That's not metaphorical. <laughs> well, like growing up in an environment like that, that is disorderly and seems kind of dangerous. Like when when did you first get a glimpse of like, oh, this isn't normal. Like there is a better route about going uh, to make life better for yourself. Because it sounds like you really, once you left, you really had trepidation to come back in 2014. When was that first experience out of that little bubble where you felt like, hey, this, this is somewhere else that's better opportunities? Oh, I, I already kind of knew, even as a kid, that there was something wrong with the place and something wrong with like the way that the majority of people kind of think, like the culture is very toxic and very... Like when I grew up, uh, a lot of friends that I knew from elementary school as they grew up ended up in like gangs and stuff. Mm. Um. So I already knew that there was something like off, but I think, um, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, you know, Orlando's like a couple a few hours away. Uh, so a lot of people from like South Florida will go to Orlando for like summer vacation stuff, like go to like Disney world. And when you're a Florida resident, you get like really good discounts. Yeah. So when I was a kid, um, uh, my dad would take us to uh, like Orlando. We'd go to like either Universal or like Disney for like a couple of days. Um, and we would usually do that for a few days in the summer or whatever. And when you'd go to Orlando in those days, like 80s and early 90s, Orlando was pristine. It was like a completely different world. You'd go there. Everything was nice and orderly. People would listen to the rules. You'd be at a, at a Walmart or something and everyone was just really nice and cordial and the cashiers. Nobody had like an attitude or, or a chip on their shoulder or anything like that. And again, everything was nice and clean. And I, I mean that both figuratively and, and like physically, like the streets and sidewalks, you're not going to see syringes on the floor. Um, you know, uh, trash and stuff like that. It was really clean and nice. Um, so I don't know, I guess I always saw it as like, oh man, you know, Orlando is such a nice place and it'd be cool if, if we lived there one day or something like that, right. As a kid, that's what you're thinking. Then you end up going back to Miami and it's back to reality, uh, and stuff like that. But, um, unfortunately Orlando is not like that anymore. <laughs> I have, I've never been there. So I guess it's gotten worse because Oh yeah. Um, well, Orlando's turned into a sec, like a sister city to Miami. Like it's totally changed uh, a lot of crime. It's just, it has a lot of similarities from Miami. Like it's just absorbed a lot of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's to answer your question. That's, that's when I used to see like the difference, the dichotomy between a place like Miami and a place that's the complete opposite was when I was a kid. And whenever we'd go on road trips out of Miami, uh, it's like the world changed. It's almost like GTA. You're like in the the crappy part of GTA where you hear people walk around saying stuff like my mother's my sister. Mm -hmm. And you hear gunshots or whatever in the game. And then you drive out to 
other parts of the world of the game uh, where it may not be that way and like different assets load in and stuff. That's basically how it felt. You get on I-95, you drive north and the Miami kind of sphere starts to like fade away and the world turns into something else. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how it felt. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, what's, what's sort of still a mystery. I only know a little bit about this, that you've had military discipline and training like can you kind of talk about that part because i'm trying to build leo the character in my mind <laughs> of leo the partner right now right and a lot of this stuff is we never really talked about and i think it really does shape how you work and how you see the industry and how you you're kind of applying to what you do right now but uh yeah like have you always did you have family in the military where, where did this come from no i was the only one that did anything athletic in my family nobody did any athletics nobody did they didn't participate in anything they just kind of kept to themselves and didn't really do anything so i played football in high school i was in uh, navy jrotc originally i wanted to join the marine corps um, I got DQ'd, uh, disqualified at MEPS, the military um, enlistment processing, because uh, of my eyes. It happens. A lot of people get disqualified by things like that. Uh, so I got disqualified. And I was just like, holy crap, man, that's, that's what I was going to do. What do I do now? But um, when I played football, the coach I had, his name was Joe Myra. Uh, no idea where he is now, but he was a he was a a, a great leader. Um, I've read the uh, I've read a phrase and I've heard a phrase before that kind of goes around. Uh, I believe it goes something like um, "leader, be a leader of men." Um, and you know, to a lot of people, that means different things. But you know, to me, that's somebody who can walk into a room and command the attention of everyone, just by being a good leader. You know, not by like yelling louder than everybody else, or or you know, throwing something across the room. But um, my high school football coach, he was very—he was definitely a leader among men. And he was when he would walk in, people would just stop their shenanigans and stop goofing around. They'd be like, "Oh, like you know." get the kind of attention and pay attention and stuff. Um, and then an NGRTC was kind of the same thing. Had this guy, um, he was a retired, retired from the, uh, from the Vietnam era. He was a, a Navy, uh, Lieutenant commander and he was really good, really smart guy, but a good leader, uh, kind of quiet, only talked when he needed to, but when he did, he kind of put you in your place and stuff in, in a good way. Um, so I don't know. I've always kind of been around that, I guess, since I was young. So that kind of molded my personality a bit. And I, I naturally tend to gravitate toward that way of thinking. And I think part of it is gr- growing in a rough place at a rough time. Cause I think Miami now is a different place to how it used to be in the eighties and nineties when it was just a different era in the U S right. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh wait, isn't that cocaine cowboys? It's like, well, yeah, there was, there was a lot of that going on. Um, but I think there was just a lot of crime at that time. And it was just, it was just a different time. You know, people now, um, are, you know, it's pretty common to see people hang out at food trucks now. And there's like art galleries are kind of a thing now and stuff. Right. Um, 
And I think we're in a better place. I mean, besides the pandemic and uh, problems with the economy, of course, before that was happening, I think the U.S. was probably in, in in the best golden era that it's ever been in terms of economy. You know, people working at getting jobs like in tech and at Google and everyone buying the latest iPhones and stuff. It's just different culture and mindset compared to like back then. But um, but I don't know, I guess where I grew up and when I grew up kind of affected the way that I think. So I've, I've, I wouldn't say I've had it rough. I, I know people that have had it worse and rough. So I can't sit here and be like, well, I've had it the toughest of anybody. Um, but I had my own version of tough and it, it made me like kind of, I guess, gain grit or I cut my teeth on things that I think the majority of the average person doesn't go through or doesn't experience or doesn't witness firsthand. So that kind of like gave me this personality of like, so when, when I hear somebody like complain, right. About something, um, in my mind, it's like, are you complaining about something that is, uh, valid, right. Or are you kind of complaining just to complain because that happens and it happens to everybody. I do it too. Sometimes where I have to catch myself and I'm just like, why am I complaining? I have it pretty good. Um, but yeah, sometimes like if, uh, you know, if there's somebody like a direct who's working, uh, uh, for me or whatever, uh, complains about something that I consider kind of silly. It's just that old school mentality of like, you know, lock it up, you know, tough it out kind of kicks in, uh, again, going back to where I grew up and when I grew up and the people I grew up around and stuff. And I just kind of go like, stop complaining, suck it up, just push forward. Uh, focus your energy on that rather than, you know, kind of whining and stuff. I don't know if any of that makes sense though. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I get you, man. I I think sports, uh, you know, with with my two sons, it's it's definitely taught me the same way. Like it's very, uh, it makes things very tangible. I I think that's what a lot of this generation is having trouble with. Like if you work hard, you can see it and you'd see it, fastest with sports it's like well did you win or did you not win you know and there's obviously lessons between the two where it's not completely black and white sure but you learn oh i don't want to make it like a a generational thing because i don't see it that way i actually see it as an individual thing like i i know people my age and even older that i just i just kind of want to grab them by the scruff their neck and be like get a hold of yourself you know (laughs) i see it more now i think uh i think because with my kids and i see the type environment and how sheltered the schools are kind of making i mean the main thing is not making kids feel bad and i I guess there'll be more studies about that but they're doing everything they can to avoid uh champing first place you know uh, i think my son was playing basketball and and instead of you know when i was growing up was called mvp most valued player right so he got that award but it was called coaches player award i was like what is that it's like <laughs> they're, they're like kind of pc yeah they're changing things around in that sense in every which way and i see it how oh. it kind of softens uh the competitive spirit a bit and i think the softening your kids is that what you're <laughs> making your kids soft <laughs> honestly the participation award trophy is you sound like you're from miami <laughs> sports dad dude i'm that sports dad where Put in the work, you get rewarded for it. 
But when I see kids just getting trophies just to be there, and it's like, I think that's hurting the kid, right? You don't have to be abusive to the kid. But like, there is something about if you want to get that trophy, just you got to follow and and do what the number one kid is doing. And that's going to set you up better for life rather than expecting something for nothing, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of that is I relate to you with sports, what I've learned it from. And uh, personality traits, the same thing, of course, right? There's outliers. But I think I, I'm saying this generation, I, I think there's more of it than when we were growing up. Of course, we had lazy friends and friends that didn't go anywhere and exactly where they are, right? But I, I think that it's that element that separates, uh, I, I guess, entrepreneurs from people that work in the industry. If we just pull it back to, you know, game development, um, I, we see it all the time within the studio, right? Uh, it's it's that it becomes a bitch fest, right, uh, after something happens. <laughs> and then you just have this group. And, you know, in, for a while, I was guilty of being a part of that group until I stepped away from it because it was just taxing. You know, it's emotionally uh, draining, physically. I don't want to show up to work anymore, right? Being a part of what group? Sorry, I missed that part. Just being, just being part of a group that complains about work, right? There's Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that mm-hmm. spark for change or like doing something about it. And I yep. really do think there are a lot of game developers who have the capacity to do something on their own and be successful at it. But a lot of it, it it's a mixture of... Um, a fear it's a mixture of comfortability and it's a mixture of um of that right just not wanting to do something <laughs> yeah so they're kind of stuck in that and and i think with it'll be interesting to see after this whole pandemic goes over how remote affects game developers type of thing because i would imagine in this time when we started godemics right we were kind of pioneering this work from wherever you want don't don't worry about it and then suddenly yeah. kind of get thrown into this. I'm I'm wondering now, like, are are more people going to be more empowered to start doing freelancing more, doing things on the side because they have more time? They they're not being watched um, by by producer or managers now. They can technically get their work done and still have time to do something else. I'm very curious how more people are going to actually be pushed in this direction. There will be more kind of academics going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I will say, I will say this, um, I've heard at my last studio job, uh, and, you know, going back to what you're saying about the toxic kind of complainer, uh, crew, uh, I did get sucked into that. That's, that's my fault for allowing myself. Cause I've never been that. I've always been the person that if people are kind of complaining or just whining in a room, I'm the guy that walks in and goes, all right, what are we complaining about? Let's stop wasting time complaining. Let's figure out what the problems are and let's find solutions, take action, implement the solutions and push forward and make stuff happen. And, you know, um, I kind of let my guard down. I let myself get sucked into that uh, kind of toxic, uh, dark way of thinking. And I quickly kind of reacted, uh, kind of, I don't know what you want to call it spiritually or, uh, emotionally, whatever. But one day I just kind of snapped out of it. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm sitting, you know, taking lunch breaks 
uh, being around a group of, of people and not bad people, but just people that get kind of sucked into that negative space and that negative energy spreads. Um, and then next thing you know, you're sitting in a group of people, maybe having a beer or whatever. And, you know, someone starts complaining about a manager at work, right. Or the guy that owns the company or the wife of the guy that owns the company or HR, whoever, right. They start singling people out. They're like, yeah, this person makes, you know, life worse and they're stupid. And they don't know how did they get that job? They start complaining and then others join in and they start voicing who they hate at work and stuff like that. And it becomes this whole kind of drama soap opera thing where people are just kind of, I don't know, planning to how to backstab or just talking, you know, yeah. uh, trash about people. And then one day I found myself in that situation and I'm just like, what am I doing? This isn't me. Like this, this ain't me. Like hold up a second. And I kind of took a step back and, um, I started, you know, not agreeing with people. Like you're sitting there with like coworker who's kind of down and during that negative space. So what they do is they complain and their subconscious hope is for you to join in and complain with them and kind of partake in their misery, right? Their self-imposed misery. Uh, Cause that's whatever that feels good in a moment. And I started doing the opposite when people would be like, man, yeah, this can't believe this guy at work. And can you believe he said this, this, and then I would just be like, are you sure that's what they meant? Have you, have you talked to them and worked this out? Have you tried working it out? Don't you think working it out would actually make work more pleasant nine to five between the two of you? Plus your work would improve, right? And I would start throwing all these things that would counter what they're saying. And it was like, huh? What? <laughs> like they're just surprised that you're not agreeing and choosing to go down this, this path of like, I don't know, self-misery or whatever you want to call it. Right. I think everyone has been through that. If you've worked at any organization in the civilian world or whatever, then you've, you've seen that the politics, the nepotism, the, the clicks, the high school clicks that start to form up, right. This group versus that group. Um, and when you start, when you don't take sides and you just start to like point out the obvious to people, it's amazing how quickly people start to snap to reality. They start going, what am I doing too? You're right. This is stupid. Uh, this isn't high school. We're all adults and stuff. Um, so I, know, uh, I, I went through that my last job and one of the things that I don't want to do with uh, this company that we created together was allow that kind of negative culture uh, to happen here. So, yeah. Um, anyway. Well, I share the same kind of um, thinking, right? I never really detailed exactly the days leading up to the, uh, the moments of the spark layoff, right? My, my first and only layoff. <laughs> But uh, that changed everything. I always replay that 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 scene in Looper. I don't know if you've seen that movie with Bruce Willis, right? But yeah, yeah I remember. There's a scene where the kid, uh, the main character uh, Joseph Levitt, um, sees that that if they he goes one path, the kid is going to change into this dark alley, right? <laughs> and then he made a decision to going to change that fate. <laughs> So like that was kind of like my moment at at Spark where I had the layoff where I completely changed my way of thinking about approaching the game industry because up to that moment there was complaints and they're whining and being easily sucked into that like vortex of self misery as you put it right but then after that moment 
like I had to take a step back. It's like, what what is this leading to? Right? Of course, I will keep working on different studios, but eventually there's going to be a point where it's the same thing's going to happen because a lot of that is out of outside of our control. And there's always going to be assholes at every studios that you don't click well with. And um, yeah, I, I think it was like months before the layoff at Spark where I was throwing warning signals. <laughs> I think I should have set up more fireworks. But we were working on the same level together. And, you know, there were things that were like out of whack, out of sync. We were working on a level without a level designer. That was my first <laughs> red flag. It's like, what levels don't require a level designer <laughs> on the game? <laughs> Dude, you didn't throw red flags. You straight up predicted. I still remember when you turned and looked at me with that kind of nervous. It's like this smirk that you do where it could be like the end of the world and you're just kind of like that kid yeah. get ready <laughs> hold on to your butts yeah. it's about to get bumpy and you you said august i still remember that yeah and you were like august august is is gonna be when we gotta start looking for jobs and i'm like oh shit and i don't remember what when what time was the present at that time uh how ahead of august we were but i, I clearly remember you saying august and then august came and yeah it happened like clockwork yeah it's it's uh, there's a consistency within the game industry that i found it's like when when tomfoolery happens misscheduling and over promising <laughs> happens there's like this cascading effect of it always happens at every studio <laughs> it's like a part of the team gets laid off morale gets down toilet paper suddenly gets <laughs> expensive people are biased to not use as many towels Friday donuts are not around anymore. It's like it's like it's always the same effect that happens. And it always starts with like, we can't get that done in time. It's like, well, we gotta. It's like, well, yeah. the rest of the team is crunching. Why aren't you? It's it's the same toxic management that happens throughout a studio that never ends well. Like, unless you're rock star, right? Even then, you know, Jason Schreier would just make an article out of you. But like there's no good ending with that where I've heard of a studio that does something like that and then completely everyone is there, right? Even with Naughty Dog, we all have friends there, right? There's huge turnover rates. It's always the same, different crew, maybe same-ish leadership, but it's always a different working crew on these sequels and it's, it's sad. And um, I hope remote working... And what's happening with the pandemic kind of changes that because, you know, with no people having to be in the office at Naughty Dog, I can't imagine them forcibly probably still crunching, but at least they're they're able to kind of be in their homes and have breaks, you know? Yeah. So this, this is what I will say about that. At my last job, um, right when I was kind of at the end where I was like, I'm about to quit. I'm about to quit uh, in my mind. Right. I sat down and I talked with the, uh, with the owners and, and some leadership and, and I was just super honest and said, Hey, look, this is, you know, we're in the 21st century. I don't think that it makes sense as traffic gets worse in major cities and Austin has exploded in growth. I mean, you can look at all kinds of business and news articles. Uh, Austin has been exploding for years. And now lately that curve has just shot up 
even sharper uh, with Tesla and all, you know, all these companies moving here and stuff. Um, but traffic has just been getting worse and worse. And I was kind of, I went from when I moved here six years ago, my, my commute uh, was super short. You can jump on Mo, the Mopac expressway is one of the main highways. It's, it's almost like a, so 35 would be like saying the 405 and Mopac is kind of like saying the Hollywood, the 101. Um, so it's one of the main arteries here. And when I got here, uh, just to test what the traffic was at during rush hour, I purposely got on, on, on the Mopac expressway to test it out. And it was fine. The slowest I was going was 30 miles an hour sometimes. And, um, you could, you could get from point A to point B in like 15 minutes. Now the same track actually takes over an hour. And it feels more like LA traffic. So it has gotten more congested. And my point with that is uh, I was telling leadership at my last job, the, the studio that I moved to Austin for um, that, you know, nobody likes traffic. Um, I know I'm not speaking just for myself when I say that there's a lot of people who are wasting an hour commuting each way. It hurts quality of life. It makes you not look forward in the mornings to going to work because it's, you know, it's like, I got to battle traffic first. Um, and I try to make a case for letting people work from home and stuff. And they straight up said, nope, this is a collaborative environment. We can never do that. And I kept pushing for it. And then I felt like they were kind of being patronizing by telling me like, well, think about security. Like security is a big deal. We can't let you work because of security. And I'm just kind of like, someone can hack the studio just as they can hack. And if, if anything, your workforce is all spread out. So if somebody wanted to, to hack, it's much easier to hack one location where you know all the servers and there's like one way in, right? Rather than trying to track down, you know, 100, 200 individual employees. But anyway, but there's other things too. Um, uh, like someone could break into the studio. Yeah, That's not impossible. Someone can do that. So you can't... So the argument to me didn't make any sense. It, it was... Mm, whatever it's uh he said she said kind of thing but um but they and the story was they said they said no and eventually i kind of reached my breaking point and i i walked out i i well i didn't walk out i quit um uh but just like that i didn't even consider any counter offers which they tried to but i said no i'm i'm done funny enough the day that I, my last day like my last friday i was leaving uh the uh one of the uh, lead producers pulled me in a room and tells me, Hey, good news. Um, they, they asked me to come deliver this news personally. So can you close the door and stuff? So we go in a conference room, close the door. It's just two of us. And he's like, well, we've decided to let you work remote from home full time. You get to keep all your benefits and you can work a hundred percent from home. And you know, that was, they thought that would make me be like, Oh man. Okay, great. I'm not quitting anymore. I'll stay. Right. It had the opposite effect because now I'm like, hold on a second. So all those reasons you gave me while work from home is impossible. You're now telling me that the whole time it was possible and you were just basically, you know, giving me a bunch of BS to my face (laughs) when I had all these other meetings right leading up to that point. So that made me even more upset. And I was just like, you know what? Keep keep your offer for someone else. Uh, hopefully other people from now on can work from home remote, but I'm not, I'm out of here. He was surprised. He was like, really? Like, you're not even going to consider. I'm like, no, I'm done. Um, 
going to this place domain. Uh, we're all going over there right about now, and we're going to have drinks and stuff for my my send off. And I'm gone. See ya. And um, and I said, you know what? Let's uh, let's get a company together and let's do the remote thing, you know, ourselves. And one thing that a lot of people. Uh, when I was in those meetings with leadership where they were, they were trying to convince me that working from home is not possible. So they just kept throwing all these reasons why it's not possible rather than finding solutions. They were just throwing, you can't do it because of this. You can't do it because of that. Right. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the crazy thing is that we were able to do it. And one of the things that keeps coming up from people is like, well, if people work from home remote, they're not going to work. You can't uh, track them. You can't see over your shoulder what they're doing, right? And I've always said, like, those people are going to do that anyways. Yeah. Because at my last studio job, I knew who the who the guys were. There was a crew of people, and they were the ones who just slacked off. They would come in late. They would leave early. They would take off for a multitude of reasons. They would take long lunches. They would go to lunch early and come back from lunch late. Um, they would skip Fridays because of allergies. Um, they would do all kinds of stuff. They would take these uh, breaks. They would go on walking breaks um, or, you know, I'm not a smoker and I have friends that are smokers. So I don't want to single them out. It's not that smokers take breaks and don't work. People that don't want to work use the excuse of smoke breaks to not do work. So there was this, the, uh, the usual culprits that would disappear whether they were on a smoke break or just to go out on a walk, they would disappear for 20, 30 minutes at a time, several times, you know, three, four, five times a day and not get any work done. And you could see it because when you worked on their team, you could see who were the guys who were slacking off because you're getting your work done and they have, you know what they have to do, right? Maybe they're doing some environment props or, you know, doing a world building pass or, or whatever it is they're doing. And you already hit your milestones for the week or the month. And you could see because you're working on the same team that they're behind, right? Maybe you're doing lighting and you needed that room or that area at least first passed up so that you can do a lighting pass and you can't get your lighting pass done because they haven't even finished the first pass. And now they're behind by a few weeks. And it's always those guys, you know, um, like I used to have this one guy who was one of the biggest offenders of that. And, and on top of him, disappearing all the time he would have uh he would come with like uh well i don't have a tablet on me but you know like a little tablet he would have it next to his desk right for a little kickstand put on his his headphones and you would see him sitting there just swiping just looking for uh for the next show to watch on netflix or whatever and you're just kind of like are you serious right now uh, I'm working. Every time I turn around, you're still looking through the menus, trying to find a good show to watch. You know, one time I saw this same guy. This is hilarious. He was uh, in one project. He was sitting next to me. He was already behind on all his work. All right. So this guy should be busting ass to catch up. Instead, he's sitting there watching Netflix and looking for shows to watch. I see him open up his typical, um, you know, like office drawer on his desk, like one of those aluminum metal ones. He opens it up just all nonchalant. This is like 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, by the way, reaches in, pulls out bottled scotch. <laughs> he had a scotch glass already in there, pulls that out, pours himself a drink puts it back and he's just sitting there just 
sipping on his scotch at 10 a.m. <laughs> looking through the menus because he still can't find a good show to watch on Netflix. And I'm just like, wow, man. So there's people like that's an example of like an extreme case, by the way. Uh, in most places, that person would be terminated. Um, but anyway, uh, he managed to find a nice niche. Have shown me it is the best place to hide if you are that lazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Jobs, to be honest. It's true. It's what true. Facebook, look at Google, man. It's a playground for adults. It's it's like they have 24-7 buffets and cafeterias. It's like discouraging people from ever leaving the place. That's the main point. But it also discourages people or lazy people, inviting them to don't do any work. And it's... um. <laughs> I don't know if that's the most, it's a weird balance because of course, Facebook is a multi-billion company, Google is as well. But when I talk about, when I think about, you know, their, their earlier achievements versus now, I, I do, I definitely feel there's a slowdown. Like what has Facebook done lately? You know, that's the famous question. It's like, are, are, are these things really structured in a way that invites success and in, in challenging employees, right? So there's a balance there that also helps with, um, with with what i think the remote working is doing right so if, if there's a place to play to congregate to kind of get team morale up yeah have a physical location for that but when there's real work to be done the best place to do is at home right because free of distractions at your own time which is what i'm seeing with yeah. a lot of these game companies like you said right i've seen people like that i've seen characters like that it's very and it I will also say it's very hard to terminate them unless I don't know. It's uh, I, I think I told you the other day, it's so hard to get fired in the game industry unless you are pretty much it is like it has to be like obviously very bad scum. You did something, you start slapping women in the workplace, you start like <laughs> strangling random people at the urinal. You know? Yeah. That extreme for because there's only two or three people I've heard that got fired while I was working there. And they did some effed up shit. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But um, you know, yeah. I kind of want to kind of talk about Godemic stuff because I think we're kind of in, we've always been in this crash course of business because me and you both don't have a business. <laughs> we're learning a lot this on, on through experience. And uh, honestly, I always been better at learning it through fucking up rather than like through books. I, I've never been really good at school and stuff. So same here. Yeah. So Ooh, like- I have a funny story about that. Yeah. I have a funny story about that. Uh, so when my whole, uh, I guess, wannabe career aspirations to go into the military and have them, because I, I wanted to go into the military and have a full, not enlist for like a four year uh, tour or anything, but like I wanted to go in for life. Um, when, when that kind of went out the window, uh, I ended up going to my local community college because if you're really, really poor, they, they, they'll pay, they'll, uh, they'll give you like a stipend thing and it covers enough for like, you know, the expensive ass math books, uh, and all that stuff and the tuition fees. Anyway, um, I ended up picking up as a hobby, one of my best friends in high school, um, wanted to be, uh, a game programmer like an actual software engineer and get a really smart guy, uh, super smart. And, um, he ended up going to the Marine Corps instead of games. 
I ended up going to games instead of Marine Corps. Anyway, he's the one that got me into games because he's the one that taught me that a lot of PC games, uh, they don't really advertise it, but if you dig into the files, you'll find like level editors and mod tools and stuff. So for fun, I started learning that stuff and I loved it. Like it was like this, just a great connection, you know, game development. I just loved it. And no one ever told me you could be a game developer or any of that stuff. It just, I played games as a little kid, but now that I was using mod tools and stuff, I was able to do stuff. So I taught myself like 3ds max. I taught myself modeling, UV mapping, texturing, rigging, animation, uh, even scripting because, uh, to get, you know, characters or new weapons in like your favorite FPS game on PC, you would have to do like some scripting stuff. Um, anyway, uh, that's how I got like into games just by like modding and stuff. So I, I kind of learned a hard way. And when I was in community college, um, I was on a modding form. I used to mod the original, uh, far cry when that came out and it had great mod tools. Like the sandbox engine was freaking awesome the sandbox editor and i went from doing levels to actually going really deep into uh rigging and animating new like fps weapon assets for your character and stuff um and making the weapons and rigging them putting them in game so i was on a forum and somebody hit me up on the forum once and said hey i have this sword would you mind putting the sword in the game and scripting and everything i was like sure that looks like fun. I haven't done that before. So I did it in like one night and I sent it back. I thought it was like a fellow modder. It turned out being like a guy looking, scrounging the forums to recruit uh, devs that knew CryEngine for like a startup game studio in Montreal. I was in Miami, of course. And he hits me up. He's like, hey, I don't know how you did this so fast, but we love it. And I'm like, we like your mod team. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm at a game studio. We just got like a uh, funding. Uh, we're startup, but we're based in Montreal. We're working on a new game, new IP using, and we've licensed the CryEngine from Crytek. Would you be interested in relocating to Montreal if we relocate you and working here? Um, and I'm just like, close. Like I was just, it just caught me by surprise. I was like, what the heck is this? Some kind of weirdo running a scam or something. What is this? So I had no idea. Uh, the guy was asking for a portfolio. This is how ignorant I was when he was asking for a portfolio. My first thought was he wants me to go to office Depot and pick up like a trapper keeper. Like, is that what he means? No, he wants your he headshots. Makes dude. no sense. <laughs> but it made no sense to me. That was, that was what popped in my head. That's how like uh, dumb I was or ignorant or whatever. And um, I didn't know who to ask to about that because I didn't know anyone who knew anything about games. I didn't know anybody in the industry. So I had no idea who I could ask. And then one day at my community college, I was like, oh, they got like a technology department. Let me go. So I went up and there's a bunch of people there. And I'm like, does anybody here know anything about a portfolio? And everyone looks at me like, what? Uh, like the secretary's there and all these people walking around. I kind of stopped the whole office. I'm like, does anyone know what a portfolio is? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, a portfolio in the games industry, anybody? And everybody's like, what's up with this kid? Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, all right, n- never, never mind. So as I was walking out and the door was closing, this one guy came out, like came after me. He's like, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I don't know anything about that, but there's this guy, Umberto, um, at the Wolfson campus downtown. 
and he teaches Maya. And I'm like, Maya, oh, that's that 3D program. I use Max. And he's like, well, he teaches Maya. Maybe he knows something about that. I heard he used to work in the games industry or something like that. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I went, I visited this guy and he had this Maya lab downtown. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And I'm like, you guys just have like these 30 workstations here. You guys like do Maya stuff? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So I showed him my portfolio and According to him, it was better than all of his students who were actually trying to do Maya for real and get into some kind of creative, whether it was film or games. They just taught Maya in general. And he was like, you need to take my class. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, you you need to, you don't understand. Let me show you something. He showed me like the best work from his students. And he's like, this is like what I have from my best students. And they're great. But look at your stuff. And I'm like... I don't know. I guess it's okay. And he's like, no, no, you need to take my class. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. He's like, just take it as an elective. It'll count towards your, you know, uh, AA degree or whatever. I'm like, oh, all right. In that case, sure. Um, and then he taught me what a portfolio was and all this stuff. Anyway, fast forward when I finished uh, my AA there, uh, which is just a couple of years or whatever, right? Community college. I wanted to go to like a four-year school and and keep going. I was like, all right, this is going to be my career, you know, Uh, doing something with uh, CGI computer animation. So I couldn't go anywhere. I wanted to go to USC um, because Paul DeBevec was there and he's like the pioneer VFX. I wanted to do like film VFX and stuff, but because I was out of state, it was extra expensive. And plus me and my family were broke. So couldn't do anything there. And when I would try to put my parents as co-signers for like student loans, it would actually make it worse. Like schools started <laughs> telling me, you got to stop putting your, yeah. is there anyone else you can put on? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't have anybody else. Like yeah. aunts and uncles during Colombian stuff, you know, cause I'm from Colombia. So I'm like, my only family here is my immediate family. They're like, well, your parents got shit credit and they are actually making it worse for you. <laughs> It's bad enough you have no credit, but adding them on actually makes it worse. I'm like, damn. And then uh, one day, because I was looking at at UCF as well, because they are hooked up with like EA in Orlando. They have like uh, this FIA program. I think it's like F-E-I-A. I forgot what it stands for. Um, And they actually like for the best students, they're straight internships straight into EA, right? Uh, The Madden Madden team and all that works over there. Um, but I couldn't get there either because it was really expensive uh, for UCF and all this stuff. And then one of the schools I talked to was, uh, I'm getting to the main point in my story. <laughs> one of the main schools I talked to was uh, Vancouver Film School, VFS. And I've always wanted to go to Vancouver. I still haven't been, uh, but I've, I've always wanted to go, even since I was young, uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, and I was like, oh man, if I can get into Vancouver Film School, that's one of the best schools in world for like computer graphics, animation and stuff. And plus it's in Vancouver. Oh, if I could get there, it'd be like so awesome. So I'm talking to like the counselor on the phone there. I don't know how they are now, but at that time they were super picky. So you had to first uh, like create like a profile with them and submit a portfolio. And if your portfolio was what they considered good enough, then they would even talk to you. If not, they would just basically weed people out by looking at the portfolio and going like, nah, this person's a joke. This person's not taking it seriously. And they wouldn't even call you back. They would just end all communications. So I sent my portfolio thinking it would get rejected. And they called me, they want to contact me and stuff. They were like, hey, your portfolio is a perfect fit. 
you're the right kind of student we're looking for here at BFS. I'm like, oh, damn, that's awesome. Okay, great. Well, what's the next step? What can we do? So like, well, we'll arrange if you could talk to a counselor on the phone, he'll talk to you and we'll see about um, when we can get you into VFS. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I'm going to leave fucking Miami and I'm going to go to Vancouver and have this awesome career, probably doing film or who knows what the hell, as long as I'm out of Miami, I'm doing this for a living. I'm set. And I talked to the counselor guy and um <laughs> He's asking me all these questions. He sounds super friendly, right? And he's asking me all these typical questions like, oh, how'd you get into this? You know, who taught you? You know, your portfolio. Talk about this thing and that thing. And it's going really well. And then he gets to the most important question, which is, so how do you intend to pay for VFS? And I'm just like, oh, um, so I don't, I don't know if you guys have like, you know, Maybe you guys have scholarships or some kind of help or anything for, for like students that are really good. I mean, I'll work for it. I'll do whatever I have to. And he stops me and he, he chuckles. He's, I, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. True story. He goes, (laughs) what, what? scholarships? What what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I I can't afford it. Um, So is there anything we can do? And he's like, (laughs) you're America you guys have all the money in the world. You don't need a scholarship. And I was like, wow. Holy <laughs> shit. I wish I remembered that dude's name. Uh, yeah. What a fucking asshole uh, he was. So I was just like, I'm not America. I'm one freaking person. And if I did have all the money in the world, I wouldn't be asking you for a scholarship. I'd probably buy Vancouver film school. Like what the hell are you talking about? So he pissed me off. And, um, I literally like told him to fuck off on the phone. That was my last con. I was like, fuck you hung up. And I kind of just sat there just staring at nothing, just going like, I can't go to USC. Can't go to UCF. Can't go to Vancouver film school. Well, I could either give up and, and go work at a grocery store forever or I can fucking do this shit myself and make all these people eat the words. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty obvious what I ended up uh, choosing uh, to keep pushing forward instead of feeling bad for myself, <sighs> instead of being like, oh, the world didn't give me a chance. I don't have anything. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I can't get, you know, student loans uh, or any credit or anything like that. Um so instead of going, you know, selling drugs or whatever, like a lot of other people do in Miami, I was just like, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. Screw it. I'll, I'll do it myself. Uh, yeah. And it was a long and hard road, but I was able to, you know, get traction and, and get to where I am now. Well, coming from a guy who had student loans, in retrospect, he probably did you a favor there. <laughs> Actually, that's true. That's true. That's a very good glass half full way of looking at it. So, yeah. although the guy was annoying and pissed me off yeah, in a way, most recruiter, he, yeah. he inadvertently helped me out. He helped you out. I think it's like one of those, the haters are the one that motivates me the most, like the challenges. I've always um, been that way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like praises, but, you know, it doesn't really push us to do anything different um it just tells us to keep doing what we're doing right so i think a mix of both is always yeah. healthy but uh uh yeah i'm, I'm very much the same way man like um i, I think if i look at my school experience it's the, the friendship it, it definitely helped i think if if you can do it you should try but i think there's so many resources now 
that you can avoid that whole thing. And our industry is still, I, I don't know. I, I still have yet to go to a place that asks for my degree. I don't even know where my degree is, to be honest. It's like, what do we show? No. It's like, what exactly? I don't do know where show? my A is. <laughs> my AA from community college. Uh, I, I don't know where the hell that is. Yeah. And I never need it. No one's ever asked for it ever. The exactly. moment I, they gave it to me and I walked away from community college to this day, no one has ever asked me, can we see your degree? Nobody does. I, I will say this for international students who are trying to get in the United States. It's huge. It's key. It's part of their, how they get their visa because there's only a select few that we let into the States to kind of work and take American jobs basically, uh, or contribute, sorry, not take away, contribute to American jobs. Uh, but other than that, if you're in the U S born or you're lucky to be here and you want to work in a U.S company game company yeah degrees are like nothing um and you can really get by with the way more online resources now than ever before i I think if i was growing up in this age i would even though guiding myself to figure things out would be always tough in any any era but i think this era especially would be so much easier with community and discord and all this different types are telling you how to do things for youtube alone you know um we were uh, it was nice man i mean i told you now it was gonna go by quick but i think i uh learned more about you even though we talk like all day every week uh we don't really talk you can about always this. ask me man it's just <laughs> i forget about this stuff so i'm not just like talking about this every day but when people ask me i'm just like uh yeah it's a good reminder I think when I, I'm like stressed out, especially like this past two weeks, just through doing our milestones and stuff, I, I always like to revisit to, you know, if you talk to Brandon like five, 10 years now, how lucky would he think of me now uh, to be at home, to kind of do what I love and uh, to kind of call the shots. That's the most important thing. That's the biggest change. Like any directions that we want to take it, we can versus you know, in those little bubbles there where it's a complaint fest and there's really nothing you can do. It's, it's someone else's company, right? You can only do so much, Yeah. but we're, we're actually finally master of our own destiny here. And it's been a fun journey. We didn't get to the fun stories. Maybe we'll do a part two of like what this business development and talking to like these characters, I would say. Um, Some funny shenanigans. Happen. I would love to compare stories, man. If this, this is normal, you always have this guy where you're kind of pitching, selling his company. He, he ends up selling his own idea at his company. It's like, what? <laughs> a reversal as a bargaining trip. Never had that before. But um, we had some funny things that I, I constantly have to check with you. It's like, is that normal? I'm not, I'm new to this, but I'm, yeah. Pretty, no, no, sure. there, there is like weird uh, stuff that you don't, that catches you off guard. You're not expecting it. And then somebody says something that is so out there that you're just like, come again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's the way it is. Uh, It is very crazy. I am, uh, like I said, um, looking forward to seeing what the next couple of years look like, not just with us, but the industry as a whole, because everyone, I don't know. It's very different, right? We, we went into this where nobody, wanted to remote no companies wanted to do it and now we're we're gonna be finishing this year where everybody's doing remote and seeing how much yeah. that sticks right it's different what a big change uh to the whole world but our industry alone is is pretty crazy yeah to kind of think about yeah i think actually a good 
I, I don't know how you try to like use the podcast. If like, sometimes you want to actually like kind of educate people on stuff. But one thing I realized um, from leaving my previous job where they said, no, 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 to work in remote. And I wasn't uh, an, I, I had no IT technical knowledge at the time, so I can't dispute it. So if they tell me for security reasons, no, for X, Y, Z reasons, no. Right. Um, there's no way for me to argue with that because I'm just not knowledgeable. Now that we have our own company, we've been working remote and we've been solving these security IT, how do people work remote and protect important data? I mean, data from multi-million dollar companies and stuff like that, right? How do you, is that even possible? And if it is, how to do that? Well, we've actually figured that out and we continue to figure that out and get better at it. But sometimes I feel like when we talk with a potential partner and they ask us simple questions, like, how do you guys work remote? How do you guys protect information? Right. A lot of times it's not that they're quizzing us. It's that they don't know themselves and they're trying to find out because they're like, well, you guys have been working remote for years. We just started doing it four months ago. How do we do it? Help us. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that would be an interesting topic. I think a lot of uh, listeners out there would want to hear about the actual technology and how security can be as good working from home as it is at a studio, possibly even better in, 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 in some ways. Um, we're at that point where uh, we're cloud computing and network security can be hardened and made that good. Um, but you don't know what you don't know, right? A lot of studios don't realize or don't even know that. So it's not on a radar. They just kind of go, no, but I heard that working remote is bad. So no, we can't do that at the studio. It's like, well, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> Have you actually done the research? Do you know for sure? Well, no, that's what we heard. That's how it's always been. Well, it's time to change your thinking. And yeah. get the program. I will say this. Yeah. Like he, man, the IT department used to be like a huge mystery where I, I would be friends with IT people, but never really uh, care to ask what they do exactly. Right. So I would say this after years of kind of setting this up and kind of figuring this out and uncrossing the wires, so to speak, uh, most IT departments are trash. <laughs> <laughs> and our experience with them has been horrific. And uh, knowing a little piece of that mystery have kind of at least uh, helped us into understanding what bullshit uh, that, that's that been crafted. So, yeah, I think a part two or part three, you know, like, man, there's so many parts of Goddemics that we had to figure out way before everyone else. <laughs> That is an episode in itself for sure. Um, and I think yeah. we will definitely want to figure that out because as people, I, this is what I foresee, right? As people are sitting at home, kind of discovering what we discovered years ago of the benefits of being at home and getting work done. I think they're going to go down this path of like, well, I mean, yeah, I phone in and do meetings. So why can't I do this with multiple companies? Why do I have to be just singular to one um, where I don't, you know, the first obstacle of commuting is completely gone. I can just log on to another Zoom and suddenly talk to another company and earn twice as much because as, as long as I get the work done, right? I think a lot mm -hmm. of people are starting to freelance and contract on the side in the result of this. And um, yeah. I think that just makes the industry stronger. Uh, it just makes people, I always mm -hmm. go back to the spark days of the layoff. Like that, that point 
I had a strong uh, uh, kind of um, direction of not just relying on a single source of income. And that was my problem. It's like Spark is, has my whole life, eight hours a day, always, right? And it was at that point yeah. where I felt like, wow, how dangerous of that uh, because I think a lot of game developers are having that problem because now, yeah, you can put your whole and life soul into a, a game company that you don't own, right? And then at a moment's notice, you can be gone and uh, you just have Google to deal with Google Stadia, yeah. which just happened. I Bro, mean, I called that like two years ago saying like Google doesn't have a good track record besides Google Maps and Google Search Engine. Yeah. You know, like they always cancel uh, way before figuring things out. And yeah, they, they kind of uh, from the outside, it looks almost like they change their mind all the time. Yeah. Where they start something, you know, um, Google Photos or whatever. And then it's like, all right, this is discontinuing. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah? That's kind of what I'm talking about. Like tech companies before, before they had the slides and swings and 24-7 cafeteria and basically sleep pods right in the living room, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a slower growth of uh, innovations in those companies. And a lot of it's just like they're treating their place as maybe they should as like a playground. But like the work is just not getting done. Because um, why would you? Yeah. If you tell me that there's activities from nine to five in the cafeteria <laughs> and then drop so by and watch a <laughs> premiere movie before everybody else gets to it. It's like, why would I even work? I'd be, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Morale is up. Sure. But when does the work get done? Yeah. Google Stadia completely botched it it was insane to kind of see and this is going in but we'll end it soon to see goo stadia with all the money in the world their launch was so bad where they just did not pay attention to how to properly launch consoles in the game industry with so much data to kind of look at they just went off and did mm-hmm. their own thing and i didn't know what yeah. it was it's like ten dollars to buy a controller $150 for a console, but I thought the whole thing was not to have yeah. a console. I was like, what is up with the messaging? I will I will say this. I was not a believer in game streaming because in my head, I'm just like, dude, you're streaming a game. It has to be responsive in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, how can you enjoy a game like that? Um, but I did try, uh, I think it was during Amazon Prime Day, like in October, whenever it was. PlayStation Now, which is their streaming, you know, PlayStation's game streaming service was on sale, like half price for like a year. So I was just like, oh man, that's less than the cost of a a game and stuff. I'll take, I'll take a shot. So I got it. Dude, I was blown away. I was like, what kind of black magic is this? Like, I don't like Sony. I've used some of the other ones. Like I used um, uh, the new one, Amazon Luna, and that one is still kind of in beta. So I think I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because they're still figuring it out. It's still like beta and stuff, right? But I got invited to the beta and I tried it. The, the beta is not free, by the way. You mm-hmm. get like seven days free. And then after that, they start automatically charging you like it's not a beta. And I'm like, well, hold up, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> so I tried it. Um and I couldn't play it. It was it was really bad. I tried playing with my Wi-Fi network and it was bad. Um, the the latency is just horrible. Like your character standing there, and if you take the joystick and turn to make your character go right, you basically turn now, and then your character does that. Yeah, and then you turn left, 
And it's yeah. like, wow, you can't play a game, any game like that at all. And it was all the games on there. They don't, they don't have a lot because it's still beta, but all the games I tried were like that. And I tried on my Wi-Fi and I tried on my wired connection and I have Google fiber. So mm-hmm. on both, it was the same. It wasn't better on either. It was both really bad, but on with uh, PlayStation now, I tried it, just test it. I tried it with a wired connection to my PlayStation. It worked like if it was a game. And I know that PlayStation now allows you to download some of the games and some are streamed. Um, I'm a technical guy. Like these games were being streamed, uh, not pre-downloaded or anything like that. And they were working like if it was a native game that I put the CD or whatever into the console, both wired. And then I went with my laptop to the living room and I was like, all right, let me try on Wi-Fi. Now it's going to break down. Now there's going to be latency for sure. I fire up a game. It starts streaming to my laptop because you could play PlayStation now on PC. And I'm just like, dude, this is black magic. How are they doing this? It's streaming through Wi-Fi to my laptop and it works with no latency. How is this possible? It just, I don't know. It blew me away. And I'm just like, man, I want to know how they're doing that because they figured it out. Yeah. It's like, I think it's like mobile phones, right? The technology just gets better way faster than everything else. And with this pandemic, streaming is explosively getting better with more servers and more like disinvestment behind these bigger companies. And I think Stadia was right in a way where um, they're in, you know, continuing with the technology because it's proven. It's good. It's good news for, you know, external developers who, who want third party exclusives go to Google. They're, they're looking for, for content right now, but internally, you know, first party, it's hard to make games <laughs> and for them to kind of, um, I, I did think they went a little bit, uh, too, too, too much to invest into like this first party developer and, and they wasted a lot of money there and we still don't know what they were working on, but obviously it wasn't that good if they cut things off. It's sad, right? A lot of developers, again, that's the first layoff. That's another thing, Leo. Like that's the first layoff I've heard during the pandemic of a game studio, which is bizarre, right? Usually it's every two months. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. Google Stadia kind of broke the mode. And uh, I wonder if there's more to tell. I wonder if there are more companies that are missing deadlines that are starting to lay off people because this is a, a year with no layoff stories. You know, Jason Schreier is like, you know, scavenging cyberpunk stories to kind of tell. Nothing to talk about, right? That's a long period uh, where there wasn't like a spark incident. And I'm just thinking that's dogpiling into something big. And Google State. About cyberpunk, I was one of the people that got the PS4 version. Yeah, mistake. And uh, it was was pretty bad, but they were pretty cool. I got in contact with them. They did the whole refund thing, but instead of a refund, I asked for the Steam PC version and uh, they gave it to me and they didn't even ask for me to send in the uh, PS4 discs, which they originally asked for, but then they just, I guess, logistically, they're like, you know what? Forget it. Keep it. Yeah. Uh, but I've been playing it on PC. It's, oh man, it's awesome on PC with yeah. uh, NVIDIA DLSS. Ooh. It's beautiful. It is it's a beautiful game. Sick. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, 
I want to say, man, thank you for coming on. And uh, this, we're a little past an hour, but I told you it goes by really fast. Uh, this is actually yeah. the part of the podcast where I kind of throw the mic over to you and shut up. Uh, if there's anything you want to tell the good people out there to visit, to find you, how can they find you? Uh, go for it. Oh, you can't. <laughs> hey, man, you're the I guest. Get, man, I get so hammered in my emails with so many people and companies reaching out from recruiters to potential clients and studios that want to know how we can help them and stuff that I'm just like, I can't even keep up with the fire hose of emails that come in and stuff. But um but yeah, I, I think it'd be cool if any, I'm, I'm a really open book. So if anybody wants to know, especially like other game studios out there who want like help or want to know how to work efficiently remote because we we're not the, I'm not going to sit here and say we've been doing it for 25 years. I don't think anybody has, but we've been doing it for about four years now. And, um, and we've learned a lot in that process. You know, we've had to learn, like Brandon said, the hard way. So, uh, we know a lot about working remote, about remote security, about, uh, managing productions, you know, how to do scrum and agile remotely, uh, scheduling, uh, communication with your team and all that stuff. So I don't know if anybody wants to know more about that or it helps them, they should reach out to, uh, to Godemix, I guess. Yeah. Um, in, Visit info the site. At, info at godemix.com, I guess, best way to reach us. Or just go to godemix.com and you can find all the info there. I check you guys out. Yeah, I mean, I got to have you back on, do part two, part three. There's so many things we got to talk about. And like, I have listeners always ask, I just never gone into detail. I felt it was best appropriate when we're both on to kind of talk about these things. But uh, that's it. That's the show, man. Uh, I want to thank what you. What do you have on. listeners uh, ask about? Uh, just generally, you know, what, what I do outside of my apartment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> People's always curious, what's Godemics? It's like, you know, I, I try to make it a purpose where they yeah. hear us through other avenues. I don't like to advertise to a point where like, oh, you heard it from mm-hmm. me. It's like you heard it from a friend of a friend. I, I like that better. That means it, it shows yeah. the signs of success right there. So it's been cool. Um, but that's it, man. I mm-hmm. want to thank you for coming on. We'll talk some more. I'll probably talk to you a little bit more after this. But uh, thank you, good people, <laughs> okay, for watching and viewing. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com 
forward slash blue champs. This gives listeners a chance to kind of call in, leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest, darkest questions and comment on your deepest, darkest secrets. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody